Okay, let's have a look in the Bible at Isaiah 54. We started last week a message called Unashamed. Unashamed. How many people have felt really started to get stirred and challenged by that? Come on, that's right. Come on into freedom. Challenged into freedom. And right now the Holy Spirit is moving in the church as a result of us in fasting and prayer for a season, just lifting the lid off a whole number of things in people's lives. So if you're... Uh, Finding you've got all kinds of feelings and struggles or things happening around in your life. Don't be ashamed of it. It's here the same. Other people are going through the same thing. It's part of growing. First you feel uncomfortable. Then you begin to address the things you need to change. And uh, we're reading in this verse in Isaiah 54, uh, and God is speaking in chapter in verse 2, enlarge the place of your tent, stretch out the curtain of your habitations, don't hold back, don't spare, lengthen your cords, strengthen your stakes for you shall expand. So God's speaking about expanding, growing, increasing. And gr increase happens externally. Increase, firstly, must happen internally. And uh, so then he goes on, he says, Do not fear, for you will not be ashamed. Neither will you be disgraced. You will not be put to shame. You'll forget the shame of your youth and not remember the reproach of your widowhood anymore. So notice he uses these words, fear, and shame. Don't, you won't be put to shame. God has got no shame to put on you. Not only that, He's got no fear that He wants to put on you. Fear and shame are limiters in our lives. And uh, we looked last week at uh, uh, how some aspects of how God made us. We found we are made in the image of God. And what God made is good. And we may be a bit damaged, but we're still good. We're made in the image of God. There is something good about every person. They're of a unique value because we're made in the image of God. And we saw that when the original man and woman were made, they were clothed with the glory, with the goodness of God. There was a supernatural presence of God upon their lives, and so they were able to be naked, physically unclothed, but absolutely no shame, no awareness of shame. They never knew what shame was. And uh, that was their condition. And we saw that when people are unashamed, there's a number of things happen. We saw that when people are unashamed, they can become connected in relationship. When we're ashamed, we disconnect in our relationships. We saw also that when people are unashamed, we can be confident, absolutely outspoken and confident because we're unashamed, not ashamed of who we are, not ashamed of our thoughts, our ideas, what we have, who we are, where we stand. Many Christians are ashamed. And shame will stop us being effective. We've got to push against this thing. And we saw that when people are unashamed, then we can become creative in expressing how God has wired us and gifted us. And uh, we saw uh, last week that uh, God's desire and heart is to be unashamed. Absolutely unashamed. Now, so we're going to follow that through and recognizing the fact that many people, many of us have and do struggle with shame. I want to, over the next, uh, this today and the next couple of weeks, begin to address. First, we want to look at, well, how would I recognize shame? If I'm going to beat something, I've got to recognize it. So you say, well, I'm doing okay, I'm not ashamed. Well, we'll see. We'll see. If you don't know what it looks like, you'd never recognize if it's in your life. And the first phase of any changes in our life is to actually recognize where we're at. Then how we got there and detach from how we got there and they begin to build different things into our lives so our future's different. So to get free of shame, it's not a matter of simply come up the front, we pray and break something off you, if only. Now, you can be prayed for, and lots of shifts can take place. But essentially, 
if you don't understand this whole issue and how to fix your life, you won't take the steps needed to move yourself out of it. And so I want to today just look at this whole area of shame. I want to look at the area of unmasking shame. Get the lift off it. Get the lid off it. Okay, so let's go and have a look in Genesis. We'll have a look in Genesis chapter 3 and see where shame first came in. Then we're going to try and have a look at what its message. When shame is talking to you, it's saying something. So we're going to talk about what shame is saying, identify what it is and how it impacts us. Then we're going to have a look then at just some examples of its fruit in your life. So I want you by the end of today, if shame is operating in your life and affecting the way you run your life and relationships, I want you at least to be able to say, I'm recognizing it. I got a handle on it, man. Man, oh, I thought I was doing all right, but oh, there's something there I need to shift. And uh, so let's have a look, first of all, at the entrance of shame, Genesis chapter 3. So verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 25, they were both naked, naked the main, ah, they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. Okay, now chapter 3. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said to you, shall not every fruit of the tree? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden. But the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it nor touch it, lest you die. <laughs> the serpent said to the woman, you won't die. God knows in the day you eat, your eyes will be opened. Partial truth. You'll be like God. Not true. Knowing good and evil. True. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and was desirable for the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she gave to her husband with her. I've often wondered why Adam never spoke up when all of this was going on. The silent husband. And he ate. Went along with it. Went along with his wife's plan. Then the eyes of them both were mo opened, and they knew they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And then they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden of the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God in the trees of the garden. And then Adam, the Lord God called Adam and said, Where are you? Not meaning he didn't know where he was. He's trying to get him to come out into the open and enter relationship. But he's so cloaked with shame, he said, I heard your voice in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And the Lord said, who said you were naked? Who told you? Have you eaten the fruit of the tree? So we see here the entrance of shame. Sin introduced two, new, or two or three new emotions. Here's the first. Sin introduced a deep sense of guilt, followed by a sense of shame, followed by fear. Sin brought it in. That's the entrance of shame. And of course, sin continues to keep it there. And some families get so full of shame that it literally travels from one generation to another. Cultures can be full of shame. Organizations can be full of shame. Uh, relationships can be full of shame. But shame entered firstly here as a result of sin. So when they sinned, they broke the boundaries God had set them and immediately something left them. You see, when they sinned, they became separated from God who was the source of identity. Now think about this, if God was the source of our identity and we become separated, we've got to find it somewhere else. And the answer truly is in not finding it somewhere else, the answer is in finding our relationship with God again. So sin caused a breach, and the Bible says all have sinned. And when Adam and Eve sinned, 
not just was their relationship broken and their intimacy broken, something departed from them which they previously had. It was called glory. It was goodness. It was a manifestation of the life of God upon them that allowed them to live free of shame. Now, as soon as that left them, suddenly they became conscious of themselves. That's the first thing that shame does. It causes us to become uh, focused inward on ourselves. We become aware of ourselves. And of course, the problem with sin is that all have sinned. Notice what the Bible says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Let me put it another way. All of us enter this world with a broken relationship with God, and we don't carry the glory of God on our life. We're aware, we're somehow lacking, and so we're vulnerable to being shamed. It's the condition of every person. So, Notice it says, the eyes of them both were opened and they knew. That word knew means to be intimately acquainted or to experience something. So as soon as they both sinned, immediately they had an experience inside. They became conscious of something they never were conscious of before. It was a feeling they had. It was a bad, bad feeling. Notice what it says in verse 10. He says, I was afraid. He was filled with fear. We're going to look at this in a moment. He was filled with fear because of my condition. I was ashamed of the condition I was in. Fear overwhelmed me, and so I did the only thing I thought I could do, which was to hide myself. So shame always will have with it fear and hiding or covering over. So shame is firstly an intimacy thief. It stops me coming near to God. Secondly, it's an identity thief. It caused me to hide who I am and cover what I'm like. So I wear a mask and you don't really know me. And that in turn, because I'm wearing a mask and you don't know me, I can't be intimate with you either. And here the dilemma. We have in church many, many people who are lonely. It's not because God isn't here. It's not because there aren't people around you who don't love you. There are. God has come in many ways and healing and touching and His presence in all kinds of ways. People connect in groups and whatever, and yet still in the middle of it, people feel alone. And that loneliness that's in there is the consequence of shame and its work in your life. And unless you recognize it, you can never break out because shame caused them to be afraid and then to cover up. And unless we address that in our personal life and learn how to change the way we see ourselves and the way we work with people, then we're going to live in this bondage of being or held inside this area of being alone. I know exactly what this feels like. I've worked on this considerably in myself, and I feel now God's saying, come to another level, come to another level, right? Come to another level. Now, there's a difference between guilt and shame. You need to be very clear about them. Guilt has a completely different message to shame. When there's guilt, guilt, the message of guilt is simply this, I did something wrong. So I sneaked up and stole those lollies. I did something wrong. I went around there and spray painted the back of the building. I did something wrong. I've broken some acceptable standard or law. Guilt, guilt means I did something wrong. It's my, it has to do with my actions or my behavior. But shame is a different message. Shame says to you, <clears throat> there's something wrong with me. There's something wrong with me. Shame has to do with your identity, who you are. Somehow 
I am lacking. Somehow I'm inferior and inadequate to the people around me. Shame is a message. Something is wrong with me. I'm weird. I must be a loser or some kind of thing like that. Or I don't fit. Shame, that's all shame talking. Shame. Now, shame is a very powerful, powerful spiritual enemy. If you don't confront it, it will affect the way you live your whole life, uh, what you do, how you run your relationships. So let me just get it. So shame then is a, is a painful emotion. It's a painful emotion. It's a feeling you have. It's a feeling you have. It's also a belief. And it's, it's associated with something being wrong with me. I, I'm, not, I'm not acceptable. Something's wrong. So the shame message is, and I'll put it in a way that's really easy to, I'll put it in three words that are really easy to remember, and then when you remember these things, then uh, you'll, you'll, be able to, uh, you'll be able to identify that shame. Here's the message of shame. The me- message of shame is damage, difference, and danger. Damage, difference, danger. Okay. First part of shame is I'm damaged. Something's wrong with me. The second part of shame is I'm different. I'm not the same as you. Do you notice the first thing that Adam and Eve did was they covered up, presumably they covered up their private parts, the parts that were different. So when shame is talking to you, its message is damaged. You're damaged goods. You're different. You're different. You're different. And difference is bad. See? Actually, God made us all different, and difference is good. But shame will tell you difference is bad, you need to cover up the difference so you can be alike. Now, you can understand that if we don't get a touch and you get connected back into relationship with God, we'll end up being religious because religion will cause you to fear being, you, you, it'll never address the shame of your condition. It'll cause you to leave you the place where you feel ashamed of who you are and ashamed of being different. Whereas God says, I made everyone different. Ah, when I made you, I broke them all. There's no one like you. And you see, shame will tell you, you're different. You need to be the same. And God says, no, I made you different. I want you to be different because every person will differently express what I am like into the world. I want you to be different. I want you to be unique in who you are, your giftings, but there's some areas I want you to be alike, and that is alike my son and his character. I want you to be able to represent me and my character and desires in life, but to express it differently. So a religious culture always will be a toxic shaming culture because it'll point out something's wrong with you. Your difference and difference is bad. You need to cooperate and conform. So typically, when religion abounds or the spirit of religion abounds and a new person walks into the church, immediately what's noticed is their difference which is what is unique about them. So someone comes in, and they've got this punk hairstyle, and their ears are full of iron, and their nose is full of iron. Of course they're different. And difference is neither good nor bad. You say, ah, what, that's bad. Well, it's different. It's just different. Why not celebrate they're different? They may change their ideas and thoughts about the whole area of all the iron and metal and stuff and the hairstyle, but it's not up to you to change that. But religion will conform or push a conformity to behaving the same as everyone else. So if you behave differently or are different or are not unique, are not the same as everyone else, 
you're different. Indifference is bad. And of course that fills you with fear, what's going to happen to me if I'm different? You get any idea? So the, so the first part of, of, of shame is, is that I'm damaged. Something's really wrong with me and I'm different to everyone else. And now danger, I'm afraid. They're going to do something to me. I've got to get out of here or I've got to conform. And you see the whole package of shame and you can see how uh, it, it robs you of intimacy, it robs you of uh, your identity, and it robs you of dominion. It robs you of all of those things. Just think it through now. Firstly is, I am damaged. Therefore, there's something not right about me. I better cover it up. I better put on a mask. That robs me of my identity. I can't be me. I can't even tell you that I'm damaged. What the heck will you do if you know I'm really damaged? What would you do if I told you just how damaged I am? Can you see? So, I did, so, so the, the, the thing of being damaged on the inside, which we're all damaged by sin and by the sin of others and sin of our own, we're all damaged to some extent. I put a mask on. I cannot be authentic, so my identity is concealed. I sit in a group having a mask on. It's the mask of Bible knowledge. I know all the Bible, but you will never know me. See? Well, there's many masks. We'll look at a few of them in a moment. But the mask that covers you, stops you being who you are. See, damage, damage. I'm different. I'm different. If I'm different, that means there's something wrong with me. It's bad to be different. So now, you see, first my identity was sold. Now my, 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 I, can't be, I can't be intimate with you because I'm different. So I'll hold back. And then finally, uh, because there's danger to me, now I've got to put up some mechanism to defend myself I'm going to find a way of stopping you hurting me. There it all is in the package, shame. All goes together. I'm damaged, I'm different, and I'm in danger because you could hurt me, and I'm going to make sure I don't let that happen. And what is the consequences of all that? Well, I don't know really quite who I am because I can never be that, and, and I'm a bit frightened to actually come out in the open and, and get connected to anyone in case they do some bad stuff to me because it's happened before, you know. So I'm in the church and I'm lonely. And the, the key thing is not to change your environment. The key thing is to change what's inside you. And that we want to look out over the next couple of weeks about how to change what's inside you. If you don't change what's inside you and, and gain God's remedy, then what happens is this thing just keeps cycling and we're forced to wear a mask and can't be authentic. And the thing we long for, intimacy, connectedness with God, connectedness with people, being able to be ourselves, discovering the giftings we have, being encouraged, it all eludes us because shame has cloaked us. And the Bible talks about shame being like a garment. It's not for us. Shame is for our enemies. Shame is for God's enemies. See, we're never designed for shame. We're designed to be unshamed. When you're unashamed, you're functioning right. When you're full of shame, you're malfunctioning. Something's wrong. Fix it. It needs to be addressed. Not by putting on a different set of clothes, not by conforming in behavior, but by actually changing what's on the inside. And that's what Jesus came to do. So the shame message is damage, danger, a different and danger. And so we were not designed for this kind of thing. So the core message of shame, we've said, is damage and, and different and danger. But the next thing is, is there an emotion that comes with it, a motivation? When people, notice what Adam said. He said, I was afraid. Now, what was he afraid of? He was absolutely filled with terror. And I know what that fear is like. It's, it's, this is what it is. It's the fear of being exposed. It's the fear that the lid will be taken off and there you are. 
Probably some of you had dreams, and in your dreams you're naked in the middle of a crowd trying to find some way to escape. It's actually a shame thing talking to you. That's what it is. And the fear, the wanting to run away. No way, can't get away. See? So, so we see there that fear, the fear of exposure, and then once you're exposed, then you'll be rejected or punished in some kind of way. So it's a driving fear inside people. If you could really see what I'm like, oh, I'm terrified of what you do to me. And see, people just get covered in. So the core strategy, how do people decide they'll fix it? Well, you can see it with Adam and Eve. They fixed it three ways. Number one, they covered themselves. They made fig leaves and covered themselves. Literally got some coverings, put it over, now you can't see me. That was smart. Okay, fig leaves. Fig leaves mean the covering of self. The second thing they did was they went into hiding. They actually hid themselves from genuine, authentic intimacy. And it's ridiculous. I mean, God comes there and he's walking and talking with them, and then they take a hike. They, they hide away in the trees. And when God was saying, where are you? He's not asking, where are you? Like, I don't know. He's actually saying, I know that my relationship with you has been breached. I'm coming looking to you. Will you talk to me about your condition? I wonder what would have happened if Adam had come out and said, Lord, I've just blown it. Will you forgive me? Would have been totally different. And here's the third part of shame then. We tend to blame everyone else final seal on it. Lord, that woman you gave me. In other words, implicit in that is, listen, I'm, don't blame me. It's not my mess. Who thought up the idea of the woman, eh? Come on, come on. Who made the woman, huh? Who brought her to me? And who's messed it all up for me? So, don't talk, just talk to the hand, you know. It's you and the woman can sort this out. It's nothing to do with me. See? Now, and of course, you see now, he's not in a position now to actually take any responsibility. That's how he lost his dominion. He would not take responsibility for the things he could manage. So, we, so, so shame is an identity thief, stops you being who you are. It is an intimacy thief. It stops you connecting in relationships. And it's a dominion thief because it stops you taking responsibility to manage your world. It stops you being accountable. The blame game. The heaps of people here are in the blame game. I hear it. Every time I hear it, shame is talking. Because the moment you blame someone else, you have made a decision not to be responsible for your life to play the victim card. And this is not how we have dominion in life. To have dominion in life, we must be responsible. So becoming responsible for my thoughts, my emotions, my choices, my actions is a part of having dominion, and shame will cause me to actually withdraw and try and find someone somewhere to blame. Well, it was the prime minister. Well, it was the white people. Well, it was the government. Well, it was the police. Well, it was my father. It was my mother. It was my background. It was the bottle, whatever it was. Listen. That stops you becoming responsible to build a different future. So there can be no place for shame in my personal life, nor can I tolerate it in my environment. And so in dealing with the issue of shame, we want to first recognize it, then we want to learn how we can overcome it personally, and then, of course, since we live in an environment which is full of people shaming us, you've got to learn how to handle being shamed and to also handle what you do with people. I even heard that expression this week, oh, shame on you. I thought, where did that come from? My goodness, that's straight out of hell. God has got no shame to put on people. He wants actually to restore us so we know how to walk, and if you fall over, to get up quick without carrying shame. 
The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. Though he fall, 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 he'll not stay down, cast down my shame. Ah, the Lord will lift him up. God is committed to lift us up. Why? Because we're the apple of his eye. Why? Because he loves us. Why? Because he's not ashamed of us. He wants to lift us up. Want to get us up again. Which is worse, falling over or refusing to believe God wants to get you up again? Come on, think about that one. Most people think the worst part is I fell, I fell over, I did this, I'm partying, I did this, I did this. Listen, the worst thing is you don't believe that God will help you get up again. That's a more important thing. Not you fell over, here's the message of the cross. Jesus died for all the sins that brought shame onto people so that every person could be free of their shame and not stay down. So if you get knocked down, get up, push the shame aside, walk with God again. And you fall over again, get up again, walk with God. I will not receive shame. Jesus got no shame. He carried it for you. Don't have, and he, he actually learned how to handle it when people tried to shame him. They've got to understand this. The devil will seek to shame you. His first and primary attack on you is on your identity. If he can shame you, well, who do you think you are? That's the message. Eh? If he can shame you, or if he can say something like, well, if you're something, why don't you prove it and do something? If he can just get you working to establish that you're good enough, <coughs> then he's nailed you. The beginning of Jesus' ministry, the devil attacked his identity by shaming him. The end of his ministry, when he's hanging on the cross, the devil attacked his identity again and tried to shame him. And he learned, he knew the keys how to deal with shame. And we'll deal with that a little later. When you get shamed, when things come against you, you need to know what to do. Because around you, you will find people, this is their way of relating. They're so full of shame themselves that what they do when you try and raise an issue or there's something happens, they will try and shame you and put you down. You've got to recognize it and learn how to stand up and defeat the thing. So, for example, you see it even in the, in the, in the, the biggest scene in the nation. Someone stands up and expresses an opinion. And immediately now, what they've shared is not spoken about, but the person is attacked and shamed and put down. The message of shame is a put down, put down, put down. Everyone hates to be put down. Everyone is called by God to stand up. Amen? Okay then, so we've got that impact of shame. And so the core strategy is hiding. We hide away. Hiding. So they covered. They covered themselves. They hid themselves and then tried to blame someone else. And okay, let's come down. I want to have a look in Luke chapter 6. And I want to just put, and see if we can unmask shame in your life. Let me just see if we can just pick up some things. In Luke chapter 6, it says this in verse 43 and 44. Luke 6, 43 and verse 44. If you want to know a tree, have a look at its fruit. If you want to know a tree, have a look at its fruit. Luke chapter 6. For a good tree doesn't bear good fruit. Doesn't bear bad fruit, sorry. And neither does a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree is known by its own fruit. If you want to know a tree? Fruit. Look for the fruit. If the fruit's there, the root's there. You see an apple on a tree, well, either someone's conning you and they pinned it there, or that's an apple tree. Is that right? If you see an orange, you say, well, either someone's conning me, or that's actually an orange tree. Now, we already learned. We know that from the trees. But what about if you looked at your own life in a mirror and started to look and see, and you started to find the fruit of shame, what would you conclude is happening in the root system of your beliefs and inner life? That shame has got a grip, 
shame is working, and you're just not even aware of it. Because that's the nature of the kingdom of darkness, is to work unaware. So if we want to have a look at uh, shame operating in our life, then we need to see how it affects us and impacts us. And I've jotted down some things which are, uh, these are all fruit of shame. When inside, I am damaged, I don't like what I'm like, I'm different, I'm different to everyone else, man, difference is bad, and boy, I'm in danger, something will happen to me, I'm afraid, then we're going to do some things to try and deal with it. And it's the things you do to deal with it which are the fruit. So if I look and see the fruit in your life, I absolutely know the shame is there. Oh, I'm not ashamed. Oh. Now listen, come on, if the fruit's there, if it's orange there, it's an orange tree. Is that right? Okay, here's some of the fruit of it. Okay, let's go for a few things. All right then, uh, let me get, just, I've got a heap of them, so I'll just throw them out and just, uh, every, every time these things come up, I look and say, oh my goodness, there it is, there it is again. Okay, shame. Now, anger, especially when there's injustice. Now, if you've ever experienced injustice in your life, you will have felt ashamed. You'll feel shame. You're badly treated. And sh- sometimes the shame is shame at being powerless. I couldn't do anything about it. You know what will happen the next time you see someone treated unjustly? There'll be an anger rise up in you that's beyond anything that's relevant to this situation. It's an anger that's coming up out of the fact that you were shamed and treated wrongly. And so anger is a fruit. Performance is a fruit. Now, uh, God wants us all to be motivated, wants us all to work hard. And I'm not talking about working hard or being diligent, which is biblical. We're talking about being driven so your life can't even be balanced anymore. You're like a workaholic. Workaholics have shame operating on the inside of them. They don't like who they are. Someone shamed them. Maybe they just told them, you'll never amount to anything. I'll prove it. And so the shame of that, that, that condition that they have, they rise up, and then they're driven by the shame. And when a person's driven to perform by shame, they actually lose all perspective and balance in their life. They get out of balance everywhere. And it's basic because inside they don't like who they are. need to actually get shifted in a different way. Another thing that comes as a result of shame is control. Now, by control, I'm talking about ungodly control. See, when, when a person's got shame, they're afraid. So what they try and do then is they try and control all the relationships around them so you can't possibly hurt me or shame me or show me up. And so a person who's got deep shame in their life will then begin to try and control everyone around so you can't make me look bad. Okay? And so parents who have shame in their life will try and control their children so their children don't make them look bad. Now, you've got to understand this about human design. God made us to be unashamed and free. And here's the thing. When someone tries to control another person, that person may apparently submit, but they become incredibly devious and creative in finding ways to rebel and find their way. There's no way you're going to tell me what to do. Even if you try to, and even if I look like I'm doing it, I might be standing up on the, sitting down on the outside, but inside I'm standing up. And it's extraordinary when control comes, how people can find a way around it in various ways. So control, lost identity and living identity through others. Some uh, women who are ashamed live their identity out through their children. Some can live it out through being in a position. Ever so, they heard that old thing. Well, I remember we, we, we used to catch a bus from Napier to Hastings. There was a guy there, insignificant man really in many ways, but he had a uniform on. Well, you can't believe what that uniform did. he become a Nazi. Immediately, a little bit of power. The uniform has changed him. And now he's got a world of young people to control on the bus. No way it's going to work, of course. But however, it was an attitude he had. A little bit of power. 
you know. And so, so some people with, with uh, no identity or, or shame will struggle in that kind of area. Uh, shame will also cause people to put down others. And uh, I recognize in my own life uh, a couple of aspects of shame. One was uh, being very negative. You know, you'd see eight positives and two negatives. Man, I get obsessed with the negative. Couldn't get over the negative. And uh, another area was the area of putting down of comments or remarks that were hurtful to others. It was actually shame-based. It came out of an originated shame of my own life. Another area is no sense of belonging. That's another one I really struggle with. I could be in the middle of a crowd and feel like I didn't belong. That's because shame has isolated you and you have no connectedness. When a person has a strong sense of identity, they're known for who they really are. Uh, if they have good intimacy, it's a sense of belonging and being connected. But when you have shame around your life, you don't feel you belong and you don't feel you're connected. Now, that's why a lot of people in church don't feel they belong. It's nothing to do with what's outside you. It's internal. It's a shame message talking to you. You need help to get out of it. You need to actually face the thing and do what's needed to break out of the thing. And uh, see, another area that shame does cause people to be withdrawn. They'll, sh- they'll be a shadow and they're present, but they're not present. They project nothing of their spirit into the, into the immediate surroundings. They're there, but it's like they're not there. And you can actually learn how to do that. Shut down, so you're almost like you're not there. And funnily enough, you can be in the group and no one even noticed you were there because your presence was not manifest. You never opened your heart and spirit to connect with people. One of the keys of releasing the power and presence of God into an environment, you have to be free of shame so your spirit can open up and release your inner life and what God has put in there into the uh, area around you. I'll share that with you when it comes to uh, ministry. When it comes to ministering to people, for example, when you minister to people, God expects you to give what you have. In other words, not stand back remotely and say, oh, God bless that person, they need help, but rather what I have, I release to you. Something you have, you give. Shame will stop you giving what you have cause you to withhold it and be shy, withdrawn, and then come to agree that's what I'm like, and I'm different, and that's bad. Yeah, see, we've got to break these things off us. A, a hopelessness, self-pity, man, I used to wallow in self-pity, pity parties, no one else was invited, and we'd go on for days. Terrible thing, self-pity, but self-pity is an evidence of shame, embarrassed and shamed about what we're like, suicidal thoughts, hypersensitive to criticism, Someone says a little thing, and next thing, oh, what do they mean by that? What do they mean by that? Blah, 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 blah. And, and you're obsessed with what people are thinking about you. That's shame talking. That is shame talking you and paralyzing you with fear. Distrust. People who have got shame can never trust anyone, can't build healthy relationships. Uh, they become self-focused. In other words, I think they're talking about me. I know they're talking about me. I know this is all about me. Well, that's, that's the message of shame. It's all about me. Come on, get out of that place. See, fear of uh, relational intimacy. Uh, some people are emotionless. They're ashamed of their emotions. So they shut down their emotions, and now they have no emotions, and somehow they're more male because they have no emotions. Not so. They've now become very difficult to relate to as a woman because they're ashamed of the emotions and have shut them down. They can't talk about them. Addictions is another one. Alcoholism, uh, 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 sex uh, addictions, work addictions, all of these kind of things. All of them are a, a desire to somehow make me feel better because I just think I'm damaged and I don't like what's going on inside me. Now, if you don't understand that shame is driving it, you can't get out of it. Shame. And when we look at another session, how shame comes into our life and how we actually receive it without even realizing it's there and then it's manifesting and what we can do to start to break out of that cycle.
We need to be able to break out of this thing. We don't want it around me. I, I, I can remember as a young boy, and, and we'll see next week when we look at some of these, how, the, how it enters in. But often it enters in when you're quite young. Sometimes it enters in through family. But I can remember for me as a young child growing up, at about the age of five, I just started primary school. We didn't have any preschool stuff in those days. So I just started primary school. In fact, Marie was school over in Napier there. Started over there, and I was in probably about six months into it, and I got something wrong in my hair. And, uh, of course, it's easy to treat now, but in those days, I couldn't treat it. It was called ringworm, which is basically just, I must have handled some cat that had this thing and scratched my hair and got this thing on my head. And, uh, of course, so that now in those days, they couldn't deal with it. So the only way they had to deal with it was they shaved off all your hair, and then what they couldn't shave off, then they used a piece of tape and pulled the rest all out until you left absolutely bald. Now, that wasn't bad enough. Now you've got to go to school bald. So my mother thought she'd protect me. Lovely mum, she wanted to do the best. So she made some kind of thing to put over me. Well, that made it even worse. I don't know whether, nowadays, of course, this was before Kojak. Now, you see, if, it was all right to see if, now if Kojak had been, he could have saved me, you know. I could have just said, oh, Kojak, you know, but he hadn't been around. And so bald is weird and different. And then, of course, I became the, the, uh, the jeering of people there, and then... I was assaulted more than once with people wanting to actually expose this condition. You can't imagine at five years old what you believe about yourself and how you feel about yourself. And so I struggled with two other areas, which are natural areas. One was uh, a lack of coordination physically when it comes to ball games. You can't believe what that does to you when you can't do what everyone else can do. Something is different. Something is wrong with me. And then I was short-sighted as well. I wear glasses now. I never took glasses on until I was in sixth form because I was so filled with shame about my weakness, I never admitted it. See, shame causes you to conceal and cover yourself. I was ashamed about my weakness. I was ashamed about my vulnerability. I was ashamed about who I was. I withdrew. I could not handle school relationships very well. And so I was extremely lonely because of shame and with it, the fear that goes with it. The paralyzing fear someone will find out. You understand that? That shaped my whole growing through high school years. And those are the years when you're impressionable, when your life is being formed, when the way you see yourself is being shaped. So I understand the message I'm talking about. And so I tried to compensate in a number of ways. So if you'd seen the fruit, you could easily tell what it was. Number one, I overperformed. I struggled and just buried myself in work and separated from people. You could tell. Second, I went away into a place where I didn't have to connect with people. You see, the identity's lost, intimacy's lost, dominion lost. It's a terrible place to be in the place where shame dominates your life. I never knew about the devil and what he could do. I never knew about Jesus and what he did. It was years later when the Lord helped me to face and address this issue of shame. Let me just finish with you a couple of scriptures. One's found in Romans, I think, chapter 9, 23, and it says, those who put their trust in the Lord will never be ashamed. Now, does that mean, well, we'll put our trust in the Lord. What does that mean, that we'll never be ashamed? Well, those who trust Him in their walk, God will never, never allow them to be disappointed and ashamed in the long term. But do we still suffer with shame? Yeah, we need Jesus to help us. Let me finish with this story. We don't need to read it. It's found in Mark 1. I love the story. And the Lord drew my attention to it this morning, and I saw it a little differently. 
There was a man who was different and was damaged. He was a leper. In other words, he had a, a totally disfiguring disease that was visible to everyone, and he was separated from everyone because lepers had to be separated. So there was no intimacy. His identity was not, you are a valuable child of God. You are a leper. Stay away. So here's this man. What is he going to do? A man absolutely helpless, covered with the shame of leprosy, with the feeling different, the feeling damaged, the feeling of no power. And he heard about Jesus Christ. And it says he came to him. And he fell down on his knees, imploring that Jesus would help him. And I just saw this morning something I hadn't seen before, the significance of the touch of Jesus. This man had been isolated. This man had no touch. This man was struggling with who he was. And Jesus didn't, before he even healed him, before he addressed what was the outward problem, he came near to the man and he touched him and looked into his eyes. He accepted him just as he was. And then he healed him. Most people think, that you've got to get your life right before Jesus will accept you. It's definitely not true. He just wants those who know they're a leper to come to him. He's not ashamed to reach out and touch your leprosy. Perhaps your leprosy is pornography, maybe a, some bad sexual relationship, maybe an addiction, alcoholism or gambling. Maybe there's all kinds of things in your life you're so ashamed of, don't know what to do. Then you're a leper, covered with shame. But instead of holding up a sign unclean and avoiding, why don't you come to Jesus Christ and let him reach out and let you know you're a value to him. You're a value to him. Everyone around you may be communicating messages. You're damaged, you're different, you're of no value. But we are of great value to God. That's why Jesus came. It was God in the flesh coming to communicate the message that in spite of the shame of our condition, we're still of great value. You are of great value. Maybe you've been put to shame by what others have said and done to you. An abusive father critical people, teachers, life's failures. But you don't have to stay there. Whoever will come to the Lord will never be put to shame. He'll never reject you. He'll never abandon you. His commitment is a covenantal commitment to stay with you no matter what you're facing, to keep reaching out to you no matter how many times you fall, and to keep telling you, you're of value to me. The message most of us have carried in our life is we're not much value and we've got to prove ourselves. We've got to work hard, get money, get this, get that, get whatever. The message Jesus brings is I value you without any of that stuff. Can you come to me?